0: Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church sermon podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. This is our second message in a series leading up to Easter called Speaking from the Cross. Last week, we focused on Jesus looking at the very people who crucified him, the ones who caused his suffering, the ones who rejected him. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And then even in his agony, he was fulfilling his mission. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to give his life A ransom for many his voluntary substitutionary vicarious death is the greatest demonstration of God's mercy God forgives your sin because on the cross Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sin I know we say that in church a lot it's almost a mantra right we're used to hearing this let it really sink in on the cross Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. Your sin caused him pain. Your sin today hurts the heart of God. But see, not only did Jesus show his mercy, uh, show God's mercy by not giving us what we deserve, the punishment we deserve for our sin, but it's also a great demonstration of God's grace. His mercy withholds the punishment we deserve and then his grace gives us what we do not deserve. It's kind of like this. Here's your penalty, you know, and and this is what you owe because of your sin. The wages have added up, added up, and God takes that penalty down to zero And then on the grace side, he starts giving you richest blessings. And today we're going to focus on speaking from the cross. Christ gave hope, gave hope to somebody on the neighboring cross. If you're in the Bible, in Luke 23, we'll be looking there in just a moment, and we'll be reading there, but... uh, We're going to start with the same text we started with last week, but then we're going to read on just a little bit further. In Luke chapter 23, I'm going to go ahead and start reading in verse 32. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. (laughs) Excuse me. Verse 33, And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals one on the right hand the other on the left then jesus said father forgive them for they do not know what they do and they divided his garments and cast lots and the people stood looking on but even the rulers with them sneered saying he saved others let him save himself if he is the christ the chosen of god the soldiers also mocked him coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? Verse 41. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Heavenly Father, as we look at this scripture and others this morning, I pray that we would listen to your word, that we would understand it, that we would receive it, that you would give us clarity, but most importantly, Father, that it would change our lives, that it would encourage us to trust you, to follow you, to draw closer to you, and as we leave this place, to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we live in a world that's filled with people who have developed uh, what we call learned helplessness and also learned hopelessness. Uh, We feel like we can't do anything. It's just gonna get worse. And because of the stress and strain of life, uh, people feel like they don't have the power to change themselves or anything else. And they experience a small, difficulty a small discouragement and they take that little thing and they view it as pervasive that it's everywhere it's it's across the board it's it's all over the place when it's really just this tiny little thing and it may be a single one-time incident but they'll feel like oh this is doom despair and agony on me and uh, then they they also believe it's it's permanent you know, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And there's some biblical truth to the fact that life on earth does get worse. But it doesn't just always get worse. There's some upside to it as well. And and so it's not permanent. Some people think they can never change. They never get better. Life is hopeless and they are helpless. In fact, I had a pastor friend in Texas tell me once, people don't change. And I said, well, I sure changed when I trusted Christ. He said, no, people don't change. If they're a lousy person before they trust Christ, they're gonna be a lousy person after they trust Christ. And I had two thoughts. Dude, you need to read your Bible a little bit more. And secondly, what's wrong with you? You know? I mean, uh, we can change at any time, at any stage, and and then some people take everything personally. Those are the three P's of uh, learned helplessness. It's persuasive, it's permanent, it's personal, and some people assume that all the problems are their own fault. They're, they're the ones to blame, even if they're innocent. Uh, they somehow think they are the cause and that they're helpless to change it. And so um, the Bible presents an entirely different psychology. The Bible presents a learned hopefulness. We have hope in Christ, not helplessness, not hopelessness, hopefulness and help in the person and work of the Holy Spirit of God working inside us, helping us become what we could never become on our own because we have God working with us. So no matter where you are or who you have been or what you have done or who you've done it to, you have hope in Jesus Christ. And so there's four gospels which teach us about the life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, one of the youth pastors in, in our lives, in our history, when Kathy and I were adults, he was a youth pastor in our church, and he said, uh, for the boys and girls in the youth group, he'd say, you need to have four strong men sitting between the, each boy and each girl. That meant have your Bible there. That's the right wit to have. The church had pews, so, you know, put your Bible there. That's the right width, so you're not snuggling and thinking about that. You're thinking about the message, and... That has nothing to do with this message. But it was an interesting fact, was it not? So, okay, listen, listen really carefully to this statement. I'm going to say something, and it's true, and you need to really let it sink in. The Gospels present different perspectives from different people. They are different, but they are not contradictory. They're different each writer shares what they heard what they saw what they know Matthew was writing to Hebrews a Hebrew audience his purpose was to show Jesus was the Messiah of Israel and the son of David so he begins with the genealogy of Jesus and he builds from there and then Luke was an evangelist companion to Paul he's the only Gentile writer in the New Testament by the way but he uh, was writing for a Gentile a man named Theophilus he was writing it to him, and he wanted a chronological, historical view of the life of Jesus, and he often refers to Jesus as the Son of Man. So Matthew, he was the son of David. In uh, Mark or Luke, he was the Son of Man. I skipped over Mark. Uh, Mark was a. Uh, cousin of Barnabas, eyewitness to many of the events in light the life of Christ and he presents Jesus as the suffering servant. Mark doesn't start with the birth like Matthew and Luke do. He jumps right in to Jesus' ministry and starts there and presents Jesus as the suffering servant. And then the Gospel of John is distinct. The Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic Gospels because they give kind of a synopsis of the life of Jesus and they also cover a lot of the same things and they're written in kind of the same way and then John's is very different it's also a gospel it talks about Jesus and his life and his teaching John spends a lot of time focusing on theology and he doesn't start with the ministry of Jesus like Mark or the birth of Jesus like Matthew and Luke. He goes all the way back to the beginning in eternity past when there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that's where he starts in the beginning was the Word. The Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, the Word, called. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And he writes about Jesus Christ from before the foundation of the world. And then Jesus Christ walking on this earth, and then Jesus Christ ascending from this earth. So he's presented in Matthew as the son of David, in Mark as the suffering servant, in Luke as the son of man, and in John as the son of God. Four writers, four perspectives, but one unifying, one unifying theme, that Jesus the Christ is Lord and Savior of all. So I want you to mark your spot, if you can, right here in Luke. And we're going to turn to Matthew 27 and then Mark 15, and we're going to look at a couple other passages that talk about this scene of the three men on the cross, okay? So we're going to look at it. We're going to look at um, Matthew 27, beginning in verse 38. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, the other on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, saying, wagging their heads and saying, uh, Sorry, I'm going to say that again. Verse 39. Those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders. He saved himself. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified him with him, reviled him with the same thing. All right, now turn to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. And we're going to look at a couple of verses here. Mark 15, beginning in verse uh, 27. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right, the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Isn't it interesting? Jesus did so many miracles. Jesus fulfilled so many scriptural prophecies in the Old Testament, they could see that he was the Son of God, but they rejected him. I don't think they would have believed if he came down from the cross. I think they would have been mad. They were mad in the psychological sense. All right? Now, the end of verse 32 even those who were crucified with him reviled him. All right, now let's jump back to Luke 15. Luke 23, I don't know why I said 15. Luke 23, and let's look again at verses 40 through 42. All right, well, verse 39, start there. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you were the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God? You are under the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. All right, so here we have Matthew who says, the two thieves are fussing at Jesus. And then Mark says, the two thieves are fussing at Jesus. And then we have Luke saying one thief on one side fussed, the other thief on the other side praised Jesus. So who's right? Well, they're both right. They're both accurate accounts but they each only tell part of the story not the whole story. I was involved in an accident up in Phoenix. I was driving through a green light and suddenly a cop car came and slammed into my car. And uh, I thought, you know, I mean, I, I was in an accident with a cop car. I knew I was doomed. And, um, but I was a chaplain for DPS. And so some DPS officers responded to the scene to help me and support me with the Phoenix police. And, but the the facts came out that He violated the law, he ran through the light, he ran into me. And uh, well, my car hit the side of his car, but he ran, he blew through a red light and uh, he was running code and he had his son in the car, which you're not allowed to run code when you have a passenger in the car, especially not a minor in the car, it was take your kid to work day. So I'm sure he got in some trouble and, Um, but it was really stressful for me. You know what was super, super stressful? They had four different police officers interview me. They'd come up, they'd talk to me, I'd tell the whole story and they'd walk away and then another one would come up and talk to me and I'd tell the whole story and then they'd walk away and then a different one would come up and I have to tell the whole story and walk away and then a fourth one came up. I had to tell the whole story. You know why they did that? To see if my story was consistent and to see if I thought of something else that could fill in. And they did that with me, with the officer, with, with the other people, the witnesses. And, you know, it was, it was frustrating that I had to go through it all over again when I already said it once. And, uh, but as a result, the city of Phoenix paid for me to replace my van, which was totaled. And uh, so that worked out. Um, I didn't sue for uh, stress and injuries, although it was very stressful. Uh, I didn't sue for that. All I wanted was a vehicle I could drive and they replaced my vehicle. But they got the eyewitness testimonies from all the people there. My perspective was different than the officer involved in the accident. It was different than one of the witnesses who stopped. Why were they different? because we saw things differently, and we felt things differently. So what Matthew, Mark, and Luke have done is given us a picture. Here's Matthew's perspective, here's Mark's. It's closely aligned with Matthew, but not perfectly in sync, and here's Luke. It sort of aligns with them, but it's a little bit different too. And so what happened? Well, probably on the cross, both thieves started out fussing. I'm sure if you're getting crucified, you want to fuss about anything, right? Everything, Um, it's an agonizing, long, painful way to die. And then maybe the one thief watched Jesus when Jesus said, Father, forgive them They know not what they do. Maybe that was the turning point for him. Maybe he realized, hey, something's going on here that's never happened at any time in my life. And so he then recognized that Jesus was innocent. He heard the accusations, heard the things said, and it's possible he had even heard some of Jesus' teaching before that event. So he now is recognizing the potential of who Jesus is. And so uh, the first thing he sees are the facts. He sees his facts. We are guilty, in verse 41, we're guilty of this crime, he's not. We are guilty, he is innocent. Those are the facts. And then he had faith. He, he was watching a man dying on the cross like a common criminal but he expresses faith beyond life and death. He's here on a cross, agonizing, painful, nails through, uh, they called it the hand, but it, th- this part of the wrist, they considered part of the hand. We now call it separate, uh, but you can only actually separate them when it's a really bad, awful thing. So it's, it, you want them connected. But, but they, put, they put the nail here, See, some of the pictures have the nails going through this part of the hand. Well, if you have the weight of the body in this part of the hand, it's just gonna rip right out through the hand. But if it's hanging here, it's hanging on the wrist bone. But the Romans had another reason for doing that. Every nerve in the hand goes through here. Some of you maybe have had carpal tunnel. That's a very painful thing. And so they did it there because that's where it could cause the most pain. Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but they, for one of a better way to describe it, they perfected it to make it the most awful, painful experience it could possibly be. And so he was hanging on there. So there's three guys, Jesus in the middle, one criminal on one side, one criminal on the other. And the, the criminal on this side, maybe he's looking at Jesus and he says something that's phenomenally remarkable. Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. See, the guy two crosses over, he's dying. The guy on this cross, he knows he's dying. The guy in the middle, he's dying. But he can see beyond the death. He can see that Jesus is the Lord and he will come into his kingdom. And so he is recognizing that he is a sinner and recognizing that Jesus is Lord and now he professes his faith and trust in Jesus and says then, remember me when you come into your kingdom. His faith. And then, gloriously, his future. You know how long he thought his future was? A couple hours tops. But he learned something. Verse 43, Jesus said, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. His future. His future. And so, Jesus answered, beginning with the word, today. Today. You know, um, some psychologists and some people who follow other religions say, you have to always be in the moment. Now, it's, it's good to be in the moment. How many of you have ever tried to teach somebody something and you could see their eyes glassed over and they weren't <laughs> paying attention? Yeah, You know, I mean, every parent in the room can say, yeah, I've seen that from, from the kids at different times and different places, and and you can just see them kind of glaze out. It is very interesting being up here that we have a camera in the back that's live streaming this so that uh, people who are unable to be here, we have some folks out sick and recovering from surgeries, and and they can participate in the service a little bit by, by watching online. And we're glad you're doing that if you are. Also, some people who are looking for a church home, sometimes they'll click in and view the service, and, and they can see it, and then they can... Uh, come and join with us if God leads them to do that um, but sometimes I'd like to have a camera up here <laughs> shining out and it's, it's really interesting because sometimes you see people zone out and I, I think it's particularly funny when sometimes you see somebody start to do this <laughs> and somebody beside him start to do this <laughs> now i don't worry about it i try to engage people but i don't worry about it see whether you listen to the message or not is not between you and me it's between you and him god wants you to hear his word listen to his spirit respond to his word that's where the issue is so if people fall asleep you know i i can remember when i worked graveyard shift And uh, I would get off work at 8.30 on Sunday morning and then race to get cleaned up and shaved and showered and race off to church with Kathy. And I'd teach a Sunday school class. And then after my Sunday school class, we'd get into church. And if it was even slightly warm, I was just really dozing. I would pace along the back of the church to stay awake till I could go home and take a nap Sunday afternoon. Go back to church and then go back to work Sunday night. And, uh, you know, we, we can't always be alert. We can't always be in the moment. Sometimes we're thinking about something else. Sometimes we're thinking about tomorrow or yesterday. Yesterday. Okay, it's, it's good to be in the moment. But when Jesus uses the word today, th- this, we need to sink our teeth, our thoughts into this. Jesus was saying at the exact moment that man's life on earth would end, the repentant thief would be in paradise. That day, that moment. No delay, as Paul told the believers in Corinth, to be absent from the body is what? Be present with the Lord, absent present. As a pastor and as a chaplain, I've watched people die. I've seen them exhale that last time, seen their chest kind of sag and their body kind of empty, their face sags back, their chest goes from thicker to not as thick. It, you just see the whole body sag. And you think, present with the Lord, if they knew the Lord. In death, your soul and spirit depart from your body to go immediately to hell if you have rejected Christ, not trusted Him, or to paradise or heaven if you have trusted Christ. Instantly, there's no delay. There is no place called purgatory. Some churches teach that, but the Bible doesn't. Jesus didn't. The scriptures don't. So uh, there is no place called purgatory. You're instantly with the Lord or instantly not with the Lord. You will be, you're not going to be standing before Peter at the pearly gates hoping he lets you in like some of the jokes say. Uh, Believers will experience instantaneous, immediate, ultimate access into paradise, into heaven with the Lord. But the hope of heaven is can seem remote. You know, we're typically thinking that eventually, right? I mean, even if you're in your 90s, you're thinking eventually, you know, maybe in my hundreds I'll be with the Lord. Every single day could be the today you'll be with him in paradise. Every single day. God knows that our days are numbered but he doesn't warn us. He doesn't show up and warn us. He didn't tell my brother or my family that that day would be the last day my brother would be on earth. We kind of saw it coming with mom and dad because they had sickness and illness and failed and got weaker and more frail and closer. My brother was walking across the street when a car didn't see the pedestrian and ran him down. And he never recovered. So it can be instantly. It can be a process. But any day could be. So if you have not trusted Jesus Christ. Today could be the day. Your first day in hell. If you have trusted Jesus Christ. Today could be the day. Your first day in heaven with him. So today. That's a big thing today. And then it's also very personal. He said, today, you, you will be with him in paradise. He even starts out this. He began by saying, I say to you, to you. This is personal. You, today, you. He wants you to understand that Jesus didn't offer this to the other thief. Jesus said, you know, I'm going to... You know, look this way, we'll pretend the good guy's over here and the bad guys over there on your right hand is a good guy. All right. And Jesus turns and says, Today you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't turn to the other guy and say, You too, dude. No, he doesn't. He doesn't say to the people making fun of him down there where he already said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what to do. He didn't say, Oh, and you get to go, and you get to go, and you get to go. No, he didn't. The one who had trusted him. Jesus didn't offer it to the sneering soldiers or the rulers or any of the people mocking him. But for the one who expressed faith and trust in Jesus, the savior saved. Because even in death, he was saving others. Think about it. Both thieves would die that day. Both thieves would leave planet earth their body would die. Their soul and spirit would leave the earth. Their soul and spirit would go to heaven to be with the Lord or to hell to be separated from the Lord forever. One would be with the Lord and one would be banished from the Lord forever. They both would. So today, today could be the day, and it's personal. You. Then he says, Will be. You will be. In fact, he started out by saying, Assuredly, I say to you, Today, you will be. It's not a maybe situation. Okay? It's not just possible. It's not just probable. It's guaranteed. It's a going to be exactly as Jesus said event. That's what it is. It's going to be exactly what Jesus said. There's no middle ground. There's no maybes. There's no possibles. First uh, John 5, 13, These things have I written to you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. It's guaranteed. You will be with me in paradise. So the man hanging on the cross who's helpless because at this stage of his life, he's hanging on a cross. He's hopeless because he knows he's dying. And now Jesus said these words for him and he's filled with hope, possibly the first time in years. See, we can have confidence because we are trusting in the finished work of Christ at Calvary. We're not trying to earn our salvation. Uh, We... Don't have to buy and beg and borrow and steal. We, we receive the gift of salvation freely offered by the Lord. The gift has been given. It's a fact. It's the truth. It's reality. You're hanging over here on a cross dying. And the reality is today you'll be with him in paradise. And the other reality, the other guy, today you won't be. With those two, you'll be in hell. It's the reality. It will happen just as Jesus said. And then he doesn't just say, today you'll be in paradise. But he says, today you'll be with me. With me. In his presence. Now, the church that Kathy and I got married in, had an arrangement like this where there was a center section instead of a center aisle. And so Kathy's not super tall. She's not short either. She's just average for ladies. I'm a little taller than average for guys, but I'm the shortest guy of my sons. They, they are taller than me, and one of my son-in-law's towers over me. But um, Kathy was coming down the aisle, and, you know, when they opened the back door, I remember I was standing up here at the front of the church, and, and I was standing there, and they opened the back doors, and, and the wedding party had already come in, the other ladies and guys, and they shut the door. And then the wedding march, you came down to the wedding march, right? Bum, bum, ba-dum, bum, bum, you know. And they opened the door, and she comes in, and I see her. And then suddenly she disappears. Because all these people stood up. And I'm up here at the front, like trying to see her. You know, and, okay, there's a little bit of blood, of of white going by, and, and uh, ah, there's a little bit of her veil. She didn't have a veil over her face, but she had a veil going backward. And then she got up here to about the third row, and suddenly I could see her. You know, it was scary to get married. It was a lifelong commitment. The biggest commitment I'd ever made in my life was to sign up for the Marine Corps and that was for three years. I'd never done anything big like that. And this was for a lifetime, praise the Lord. She said, yes. And, and, and it's all worked together wonderfully, happily ever after kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> most of the time, most of the time. Okay, so when I could see her and then I knew, The only reason she was coming forward was to be with me. And then we got married and she's been stuck with me ever since. (laughs) Okay, when Jesus said, today you'll be with me. You know how that guy felt. He expressed faith in the Lord. All he asked was the Lord would remember him. That's the biggest hope he could imagine. Just just remember me. And Jesus said, today you will be with me. And then he adds in paradise. John 14, Jesus said, I will receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I will receive you. You will be with me. And he says that to us, that if we trust in him, if we believe in him, if we follow him, we will be with him. We long to have that moment to be with him. We love those moments in our days when we sense his presence with us. Maybe when you've gone through a difficult time or you're witnessing to somebody and you just sense the Holy Spirit working with you to use the verses that can speak into that person's life. But, um, you know, we're going to be part of an awesome choir in heaven where maybe, hopefully, billions of Christians will gather together and sing praises to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in heaven, they'll like to hear you and I sing, Joel. Yeah. <laughs> See, Jesus said in paradise. Now we don't use the term paradise so much as the word heaven, but paradise was where believers would go when they died. And there's a you know a different way of looking at it in most of the Old Testament or the Gospels and and so they viewed paradise as down under the earth and and there was a split between the judicial side of punishment and the paradise side and there was a gulf in between. Jesus describes that when he talks about the story of uh, the rich man and Abraham having a conversation. But, But paradise is one of the Descriptions of heaven, paradise is a place of joy and blessings and paradise is where he is and where we will be. Our fears will be forgotten, our anxieties will be relieved, our sins will be remembered no more, our hopes and dreams will be realized. The two thieves knew their life would soon be over, this thief and that thief, they knew their life would soon be over. Both of their lives were ending in disgrace, condemnation, and rejection. However, the one thief over here, the one thief who turned to the Lord and said, I recognize you as Lord and I know you'll come into your kingdom. That thief, uh, the dying thief who received Jesus Christ, he received the gift of acceptance and forgiveness, of redemption and salvation. He received The gift of hope. Hope. His attention was finally focused on Jesus, as it should have been all along. This man received hope like he'd never experienced in in his entire life. He could face the darkest moment of his life with hope that I will be with him. See, you're going to spend eternity in one of the locations those thieves went to. You're going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus and the thief who trusted him on the cross, or you're going to spend eternity in hell, separated from Jesus, separated from those who trust him. This man admitted his own sinfulness. He trusted Jesus Christ put his faith in him he followed Jesus into glory now he didn't have an opportunity to do anything Jesus didn't say now that you've received him I'm gonna send you down from the cross and you go be a missionary no today you'll be with me in paradise all he could do was trust Jesus and follow him into glory and that's what he did but during the last moments of his life on earth, he knew this was not the end of his life, that the best was yet to come. He would be with him in paradise. What a great hope. And those of you who have trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, never forget, that hope is just as real today. And those of you who have not trusted Him as Savior, you have no hope apart from Jesus Christ. You need to trust and follow Him. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at VictoryArizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.